Welcome to the Destiny Leaders Podcast, where we are dedicated to developing the leader in you. Hello, everyone. My name is Amos, and it's such an absolute pleasure to be with you today on the Destiny Leaders Podcast. Today's podcast is a continuation of a series of podcasts that are working together in conjunction with the Bigger, Better, Stronger Connect campaign. With this campaign, we've been studying Oswald Sanders' book, Spiritual Leadership. Also, there are video teachings and Zoom roundtables available on destinyleaders.com. You can find all you need by clicking the Connect tab at the top of the page. I want to especially encourage you to check out the Facebook group designed to help you connect with others as we go through the book together. That's the way to get the most out of this content, these sessions, and the community of leaders. You can find links in the Bigger, Better, Stronger group on that website as well, destinyleaders.com. The recording you're about to hear is a lecture from a class in Destiny Leadership Institute by our own Dr. Rob Griffin, a DLI instructor. His lecture is all about spiritual discipline, and I'm going to encourage you to be ready to take some notes because there's a ton of great content in this next few minutes. We discovered that the definition that we're using for the lecture series is um, of a disciple is that we, uh, a disciple is one who knows and follows Christ, A disciple is one who is being changed by Christ, and a disciple is one who is committed to the mission of Christ. Now, we are going, we're unpacking this, and and today we're going to take a little bit of time talking about the discipleship process, but it's almost um, impossible to talk about the discipleship process without us understanding the salvation process and, and what what does salvation mean and what discipleship mean? And so we started that discussion last week in the first lesson. We're going to finish that discussion fully. We're going to fully unpack it in lesson six, all right? And so what we're going to do here is uh, we, we touch it a little bit in one, we touch it a little bit more in two, and then we fully unpack it in six. And the, in the in between, we... Uh, the next two lectures are going to be on spiritual disciplines, just straight up. What are they? What are the most common spiritual disciplines and, and how are they applied in our life? Uh, so that's the next two lectures. A lot to unpack there. So I divided that up into two. And then um, the lecture after that is how does the Holy Spirit, how did the fruit of the Spirit work in our life in conjunction with uh, the spiritual disciplines? And I really think I ended last Last week on the live, I ended by our two weeks ago on the live, um, that that we really can't do any of this without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. I mean, the bottom line is the point here is not for us to take it all into our own hands and and white knuckle it and, and, and do it on our own. We, we're not intended to practice even the spiritual disciplines on our own. It is a work of the Holy Spirit as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we yield to the fruit of the Spirit, then, then we see this unfolding of, of the power and the guidance and, and, the, and the leading of the Holy Spirit that, that, that aids us in the, uh, the discipleship process. I mean, the bottom line is Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit as, as uh, the comforter. And I think a lot of times we think of comforter in the in the 
just in the linear view of, of well, when I'm mourning, he comforts me. Uh, really, uh, for him to be the comforter means that he guides us, that he leads us, that he empowers us, that he strengthens us. It's, it, it's more than just comfort. It's, it's, it's the helps of the Holy Spirit in our life. So we're not trying to do this on our own. And I think that that really helps in the dynamic of separating spiritual disciplines from the actual act of salvation, that, that spiritual disciplines and salvation, although they work in, in tandem within us as we develop our Christianity, as we become a disciple, become an apprentice of Jesus Christ, that, that um, the reality is, is that if you confuse the two, if you confuse eternal salvation, which is being born again, with the process of discipleship, um, it leads to legalism. And that was a question that we had in the live two weeks ago was, you know, what about people that say, well, spiritual disciplines are legalism? Well, we're going to unpack that today, and then we're going to fully unpack it in Lesson 6, or dive into it even deeper. Um, I will say this, that many people have fallen into the trap of legalism that produces condemnation. I think we're all somewhat aware of that. We've probably seen it at times. But, but when you allow this legalism to take the issues of discipleship and move discipleship into salvation, then really you can fall into the trap of, am I saved? When am I saved? Am I saved today? Am I on the roller coaster of salvation? I lived that life for many years. For many years, I lived with this feeling that, that my salvation didn't only depend on my faith in, in Christ and, and grace and what Christ did and, and me just being in Christ and, and, and accepting that gift. Uh, my salvation also uh, depended on daily actions that at any moment, at any time, during any day, I could lose my salvation just with the, with the snap of a finger. And that's a really, uh, that's not a good way to live. I mean, it's a really a sad way to live. Uh, when I, when, when I started preaching, I, I started traveling as an evangelist in, in, uh, when I was 19 years old. I started ministry when I was 17, started as an evangelist when I was 19. I traveled for eight and a half years as an evangelist. And then I came to Oklahoma, was an, was an associate pastor uh, for three years, and then for a short period of time, for seven months, I took a church in Oklahoma City, and I pastored there for seven months, and then the lead pastor of the church that I was the associate pastor and resigned abruptly, and that church asked me to come back, and I ultimately felt that was the will of God to do. But the church that I took in Oklahoma City uh, was pastored by a man for a couple of decades at least that was, was a heavy a legalistic on, you know, living standards, okay? Like, at any given moment, uh, your salvation could just be taken away because you you did something that was against God. And one of the things that, that they preached at church was they had an anti-television policy that was strict. Like, if you looked at a television, you were not going to be saved, all right? And... I thought about it as I was thinking about this lesson today. I thought about, I didn't fully understand just how ingrained that was in those people uh, until one day we were at Walmart 
And down the long hall in this particular Walmart at that time, the electronics section was right in the middle. And you really had to go past the electronics to, to buy anything. And of course, the electronics station has all these TVs on. And I was at the back end of the aisle and there was a family, a single mom and three teenage children from my church that I had just taken walking toward me um, down that same, that same middle aisle of that Walmart. And, you know, I saw them and I was heading and I was going to say hi to a new pastor, trying to build relationships, but they were so focused on something. They didn't see me. All right. And then I, then I found out what they were focused on when they got, to the electronics with all those glowing televisions, that entire family simultaneous put a hand up like this and walked past those televisions as to not see them as a blinder because they were convinced that if they glanced at those televisions, at that moment, if Jesus were to come back, they would, they would be lost. Now this was a family that was deeply seated in the church. This is a mom that has single-handedly raised her kids in the church. They've been safe for years. And yet, and yet because they, they had this works-based thing going on, that literally just a simple glance at a television would, would obliterate years of living for God. Years, just one second would take it away. Now, that's the extreme of, of, of legalism. And, and I, I brought that up because if we allow the spiritual disciplines to become that, that if spiritual disciplines, I have to do this or I will not be saved, then, then we fall into this trap that we take salvation out of the hands of Jesus, out of the hands of God, out of the, out of the reality of that faith and that, that moment, and we put salvation in our own hands well, I've got to do this to be saved. I've got to do this. And I don't want us to fall into that trap. And so anytime I've ever uh, talked about the spiritual disciplines, I've gone right back to try to make sure we fully establish that we don't do the spiritual disciplines to be saved. We do the spiritual disciplines to become like Christ. It is the reps. It is the things that you do to take on the nature of Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit as we develop him to, to build relationship with Christ. I mean, I don't think anyone uh, would disagree, for instance, that the discipline of prayer, that consistent prayer to develop a prayer life is vitally important in you building a relationship with God. Are you going to build a relationship with anyone without ever talking to them? No. Matter of fact, in families and marriages, when communication breaks down, the relationship breaks down. And so that's just, a, that's just one. So, but if you take that one and say, well, if I don't pray three hours a day, I'm going to be lost. Now you've gone somewhere that the spiritual disciplines aren't meant to go. All right. And so it must be clarified. This, this idea of salvation and then what are the disciplines? It must be clarified that, I mean, the best way I know to explain it, so this is me, um, salvation really has two fundamental dimensions that are at work in our lives. There is the eternal salvation, all right? So we're saved in eternity. And, and then there is the temporal salvation that we are 
being saved in life. All right. And I'm going to explain that because this is, I think this is important for the spiritual disciplines. Our faith, our confession of that faith is what brings eternal salvation. That's the point of repentance. That's the point of turning, turning from our ways, turning from the world and allowing Jesus Christ to become not only Savior, but Lord. All right. And, and, and that's where repentance takes place. And it is through faith that the saving blood of Jesus is accredited to our account. So through faith, the, the blood of Jesus is accredited to our account. Matter of fact, I want us to look uh, again at Romans 3. This is very pivotal. But now, apart from the law, this is Romans 3, 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and all, this is important, all, all, have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So our salvation is not tied to spiritual disciplines. Our salvation is tied to that confession of faith and, and, and our declaration and just simply relying on the salvation that comes by Christ, the righteousness covering that comes by faith in Christ. I will say this, this verse says that we've been justified freely by that confession of faith. So if you've been justified through faith in the blood, then to me, justification is salvation. All right. Now, some terms that can be used in this uh, uh, theological terms is that you have justification and then there is sanctification. And one way that one way you can kind of pull that out is justification is my eternal salvation, but sanctification is the discipleship process working in my life. Justification is what Christ did for all by applying his blood to the mercy seat, obtaining eternal redemption. Uh, sanctification is that daily process, the discipleship process, where we are becoming more and more and more and more and more like Christ in this world, in this life. I think that it's important to, to examine that because if we don't stand strong in this fundamental issue, we're always going to be wondering if we're saved. I mean, one of the greatest revelations that came to me as a 31-year-old pastor when I was making this tremendous shift, you know that that thing in Walmart with that with that family putting their hand up like this, that did something to me. That that there was a conviction that came to me that say, wait a minute, is it really? I mean, can they really lose their salvation in one second of looking at a television in Walmart that's playing like a commercial or whatever? I mean, really? And it put something in my 31 year old heart that began a quest for me that actually led me to Romans chapter three. And to be honest, when I was getting a license with the denomination uh, back in the, the, those days, they literally did a class for us before we got our licenses. And they told us this in that class, don't read the book of Romans. It will just confuse you. 
<laughs> they really did. Here's a bunch of young preachers. I was 19 years old. I went, well, I guess I'll stay out of Romans. <laughs> you know, I mean, because, because Paul stressed so deeply in Romans that it's not by our works that we're saved. Now, there are things that we could do in sanctification. I mean, how many of you know that the Ten Commandments are still real? You know, we still shouldn't lie. We still, but are we doing all of that on our own strength? Or are we doing that because we're practicing the disciplines that make a disciple? You know, I saw the other day, Landon, bless your heart, uh, you posted, you know, we talked about Landon being a, a marathon runner, you know, and all this running. My Lord have mercy. He posted today, I'm thankful for my friends who get up at 3 a.m. to go running with me. And there were like 20-something miles. They were, I said, no, nope, not going to do it, Landon. Not going to do it. I don't want to be, I do not want to subscribe to the discipline of marathon running. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that that's what spiritual disciplines do. They prepare us. They strengthen us. They grow us. Paul is stressing this point. To the, to the church at Rome, because people had come in declaring to, um, to, to the church. They, they uh, theologically called the Judaizers. They came in preaching a gospel that it was Jesus plus the law. And so they were literally demanding, for instance, that all of the Gentile men get circumcised no matter how old they were. And this was causing great distress in the church, as you can imagine. I mean, can you imagine a man that's you know, 40 years old being said that it's not just your faith, but you also have to be, you know, you have to go under the knife. And so Paul, you know, I mean, Paul fought against that because he said, listen, um, we can't demand that when Christ came to perfect that law. Christ came to do something. We're circumcised in the heart, you know? And, and so, um, he just refused to allow them to say that circumcision for salvation or dietary law for salvation, among other things. And, and so Paul, Paul put a stop to this multi-step, multi-obligation salvation idea by simply declaring it is not what you do. It's having faith in what Christ did. And he wrote this so powerfully in Romans chapter 10, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now, somebody might say at this point, well, Pastor, didn't another apostle write or somewhere in the Bible I read that, um, you know, this this about confessing with your mouth. Of course, Paul wrote it. Um, isn't that a work? Well, if you read, if you read deeply into the New Testament, you'll see this, that, that uh, the writer claimed that no one can confess Christ without the Holy Spirit. You can't even confess Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine this for a second? That here's a person at the point of being saved, and it's like the Holy Spirit is right there just waiting. And as they make this decision to make this declaration, the Holy Spirit moves in and pushes the words out of their mouth, Jesus is Lord. That we literally, by the Holy Spirit, confess Jesus is our Lord. Not on our own works. 
I mean, how fitly does this all join together? That, 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 um, that eternal salvation is the product of the Holy Spirit work in our life that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. It's a faith thing. It's not a long list of do's and don'ts. Okay? And so it, it is a combination, like I said, of faith and action, but the act of confession is, uh, is not us cleaning up and working hard and making sure we do a one-hour prayer wheel. I mean, I love the one-hour prayer wheel, but you can't make it, you can't make it a dogma. All right? It will never end if eternal salvation depends on a list of all those things. And so then we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So it's not by works. It's We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. And so we can clearly see salvation is not tied to our personal efforts or any kind of works on our part. But then let's, this is where we're going to get into the heart of it. So pay attention. Ephesians 2.10. When we follow along to Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I used to read that verse and went, okay, Paul just went kind of oxymoronish here, all right? He just said it's not by works, but then he said we've been created to do good works. So what is it? Well, it's both. Here's the reality. The good works we have been created to do are tied to discipleship. Our actions as a disciple, what Christ has empowered us to do as a disciple, and are not tied to our eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is instant when we confess and believe, while discipleship is a process, all right? This process is a function of what I call the temporal salvation that is happening in our lives. It's a reflection of the eternal salvation that took place by faith. So here's this eternal salvation that took place by faith. I can have confidence that I am saved while God is at work in me to do good works, that God has prepared these things in advance for me to do. All right? And again, I'm going to stress it. Stress, stress, stress. You can't tie these works that you've been prepared to do to your eternal salvation. And I think everyone can can fall prey of that because we feel like, well, I'm not doing good or, well, there you have it. I, 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 I heard someone tell me this one time. They said, Pastor, I went on a three-day fast, man, and I made it. I made it three days except by one hour. I just couldn't. I couldn't help myself. I, I, I ate one hour early. It ruined the whole thing. I, 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 it's over. None of it counted. And I'm like, uh, you fasted for three days minus one hour, and you think God just erased the board and said, good luck. Try next time. Really? You know, I mean, is that really where it's tied? I mean, I can get it. We live in a rewards-based world. Uh, You do good, you get rewarded. You don't do so good, you lose all the reward. I mean, my wife and I, uh, when our kids were, especially in grade school, 
Well, I mean, we followed all the way through high school, but but we'd say this, you get A's on your report card. It, it means so much money. I can't really remember what it was. I think when they were little, it was like $5. And I think as they got older, it got, it, it got to like $20 an A, right? I never gave one of my kids a $20 bill for an F. <laughs> I mean, if it was three A's, it's 60 bucks, you know? Um, because that's the world we live in. It's, it's a reward-based world. So we can allow ourselves to fall in that. Well, I, I told the Lord that I would pray three hours a day and I made it uh, one hour and 32 minutes. So I guess that one hour and 32 minutes was wasted. No, you can't view it like that. It doesn't work that way. And so everything we do, anything we do, I tell people this all the time, anything you do, it is, is a part of the process. Be in the process. Just be in the process. Get in the process. You know, I, I, I've, I've, um, I've preached several times at my church, one of those recurring themes that, for instance, that as a, as a disciple, as someone who is um, fostering their relationship with God, that we should all have a slot and a spot to talk to the Lord. That every day there should be a slot of time and a place where we go and pray and, and read the word and allow the word to speak to us. And I said, listen, your slot may be five minutes. It may be five minutes of your 30 minute lunch. All right. But if, but if you just consistently have your slot and have your spot, you'll find yourself growing in your faith. You'll find yourself growing in discipleship. And so you know, we're not, we're not in comparison with everyone else. We just have to start somewhere. Uh, you know, I, I tell our church, uh, uh, Bill Hybels year, years ago put out this idea that, that every morning you should just have coffee with God. Take a coffee break with God every morning and sit in that chair. Find yourself a chair that's your God chair and just spend 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you have. Spend it in the presence of God with his word and in prayer. You know, that's the process. That's the process. But it can't be so legalistic that you meant to do 15 and you were only able to do five because the phone rang and they called you into work early. And so God says, okay, well, you skipped out on 10 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm through with you. Can't live that way. All right. <laughs> I don't want to live that way. I don't want us to either. So Philippians chapter 2, this Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There are two things about these verses that I want you to notice. And, and one of them is the negative pole that a lot of people use this to say, well, you can't really know if you're saved because you're working out your salvation. And so you have to do all these things in order to, to be saved eternally. All right. But the other thing I want you to notice is it says that it's God who is at work in you. So if God is in you, is this verse speaking to people who are not saved? Or are these verses speaking to people who are saved? Well, if God is in you at work, then to me, I believe with all my heart that clearly if God's in you and is working in your life to will and to act according to his 
uh, good purposes in your life. Well, that's clearly talking to saved people. All right. So God is at work in you to give you what you need to will and to act. So to change your will and to help change your actions according to his good purpose. How many of you will agree with me that we're saved to fulfill a good purpose that God has created in advance for us to do? That's discipleship. So this work out your salvation. And, and, and again, I'm going to try to explain this how I see it. Uh, all of this kind of derived itself from a Walmart trip, all right, as it put me on a process that I'm still probably on, is that it's not talking about being saved in eternity. You're not working out your eternal salvation in that sense. It's talking about being saved in life. You know, if you are saved through faith or born again, somebody might ask them, then what's there to work out? Well, we must never forget that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's not just talking about souls. That's talking about creation. That's talking about humanity. You know, that's talking about the fall. That so much was lost at the fall. And so it's lost creation that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save. Not just souls, not just people, but lost creation in general. And, and, and what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And so I stated before, uh, my way of putting this is that salvation is two-dimensional, temporal and eternal. So Jesus Christ came to not only save us in eternity, he came to save us in life. And we should never confuse the two. So salvation we are working out is in our imperfect born-again body that comes by walking daily with the Lord and becoming like him as a disciple. Let me say that again. The salvation we are working out in our imperfect born-again body is the salvation that comes through walking daily with the Lord and becoming like him as a disciple. And I believe that's where spiritual disciplines come in. My spirit is saved for heaven. I can have trust in that as long as I am in Christ. My spirit is saved for heaven, but I'm still working out the salvation of my inner man. I'm still working out the salvation of my um, my mind, my soul. Matter of fact, uh, we're working out the part. That's the working out part that takes on the nature of Christ. Are y'all? You know, I hope you can see how I'm how I'm trying to present this. We are here to find what it, it is. We are here. We find here, I'm going to get there, that it is God who is at work in us and not what we're doing on our own merit. Now, man is mind, body, and spirit, or body, soul, and spirit, okay? Body, soul, and mind. A lot of people ask, well, well how does all of that work? Well, when we're born again by faith, the confession of faith through grace, when we are born again, our spirit is saved. The Bible says that the spirit is the part that returns to God. All right. So our spirit is saved. That's when we'll be returning to God. So that's eternal salvation. Now, we know that at the resurrection, our body will be saved. All right. Our body will become immortal the Bible says. So we'll be resurrected and we will have a new body, a body that's not going to be subject to sickness, a body that's not going to be subject to sin, a body that's not going to be subject to the fall. Come on, somebody. 
So we know our spirit is saved by faith at confession. Our body, it will be saved in the resurrection. All right. So that leaves one other area. And that's the area called the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind, will, and emotions of a human being. The mind, the will, and the emotions. It is our conscious, it is our emotions, it is our personality, it is our desires. That's what the soul is. And the soul is the thing that we're still working out. I mean, the bottom line is the salvation of our soul is what gives us the ability to be the witness as a disciple that God has called us to be. So as we are, as we are understanding this, that here is eternal salvation with our spirit, here is physical salvation with our body, and then here is the soulish salvation that we're working out. The, the reality, look at the fruit of the spirit. We're going to examine that um, in one of our lessons. Look at the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Love, joy, peace, self-control, you know, temperance, patience. All of those things deal with the mind and the emotions. All of those things deal with the soul of a man, with the conscience of a man. And so as we understand spiritual disciplines, this understanding becomes vital because if we tie our spirit salvation, and I love in lesson in lesson six, we're going to unpack this. It's I just love lesson six. It, it, it there are if it's vital because if we tie our eternal spirit salvation with our temporal imperfect soul, we will never truly have confidence that that we're saved. I mean, come on. The reality of it is, and I know what it's like, you know, have you ever been behind the wheel of your car and lost your temper? <laughs> you know, uh, and God, <laughs> everybody smiles. Hey, hey, you know, now, now I tell you a lesson in behind the wheel temperance. You need to go visit the Philippines. All right. I have been to the island of Mindanao and the city of Davao uh, 14 times in the last 10 years and the Philippine people will give you a true revelation on just going with the flow. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll give a quick story. Uh, the traffic is just, it's every, I mean, it's just like, ah, you know, and, and I mean, and you know, they'll, they'll sometimes turn a four lane road into 13 or something, man. And then there's there's all kind of things. There's there's bicycles. There's motorcycles. There's uh, there's jeepneys. There's cars. There's buses. And everybody's just going everywhere. And it's just a beautiful uh, thing. And uh, as Americans, we just sit with our our holding on real tight. But um, but uh, one time I was asking a pastor because I noticed that they honk their horn incessantly. Now listen, if you honk your horn in America, you're probably going to get in a fight. If you honk your horn at somebody in America, it don't usually turn out well. Can the Americans all wave at me and say, that's, that's true. Don't honk your horn, you know. In the Philippines, they honk incessantly. There's beep, or there's beep, beep, or there's beep, 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 or there's beep, 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 or there's beep, 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 beep. 
And finally, one day I asked Pastor James, he's a pastor at Harvest House Family Church in, um, in um, Tobunko, just outside of Davao City. And, and I asked Pastor James, I said, Pastor James, what's all them beeping mean? What's the difference between one and, and five? And he says, well, one is I'm coming around on your left. And two is I'm coming around on your right. And I can't remember specifically, but I do remember this one. For him, five was, hey there, friend, I know you. <laughs> Oh, Lord, if you honked your horn five times at somebody in Houston, it ain't going to be pretty. Oh, Lordy. But, yeah, have you ever been, have you ever been driving and you, and you just got angry? You know, I, I, we, we uh, have a lot of development that's happened around my house in the, in the past few years, and they haven't improved the infrastructure yet, so it's a lot of two-lane roads. And, and years ago, the bicycle people that ride bikes um, – for you know for sport um they picked all of these roads because they're hilly and they're perfect but used to there were no cars on them all right and and so now there are by the thousands and instead of moving their bike maps further south they still ride on these same two-lane roads where there are literally we've had over nine thousand homes go up in the last six years and, and, and a lot of people get mad at the bicyclists. God bless their hearts. I know they're just out there getting exercise. But have you ever gotten and, and, you, and you said something you shouldn't have said, you know? Uh, yeah, we're still working out that soulish man, right? <laughs> we're still working that out. God help us all. But that, I think that's important because there was a time in my life when I would get mad like that. And then I would have to pray and beg God to save me again. As though God in that moment said, Yep, you're off, you're out of the Lamb's book of life, you know. And and I do believe that you could reach a point of denial, that you can reach a point in, in in your faith that your faith is so broken and your relationship with God is so broken that that you can um that you can walk away from your salvation, you know. But I don't think me having a momentary thing that I'm recognized me with the Holy Spirit can victory and say, do you really want to treat that bicyclist that way? Because what if he comes to your church? What if he remembers you? <laughs> oh, Lordy, help us all. Uh, so prod, the, <laughs> let me get back into this. The issue of I will make you, the definition, the, the definition, know and follow Christ, I will make you, so being changed by Christ, the issue of I will make you is an ongoing process of change that takes us deeper and deeper in the likeness of Christ by taking on his nature, his attitudes, and his actions. Discipleship is a process, and disciples proceed into looking and acting like Jesus. Yeah. And so that's where the spiritual disciplines come in. As a disciple, we are being molded into the person Christ wants us to be. God is at work in us for us to will and to act according to his good purpose. That we were saved, not by works, but we're saved to do good works as a disciple. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we talked about this in the first, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The word that I want to focus on 
is transformed. There is a transformation process that is taking place in the life of the disciple and is bringing us into the likeness of Christ. That is where the spiritual disciplines come into play. It's a growth process because growth is expected. We talked about that. But there, and there is a clear understanding in the word that every believer should mature as a functioning disciple. And that point has to be established, although we all mature at our own pace. And this is another part of legalism. Well, I prayed one hour today. You only prayed 20 minutes. Well, I'm a better disciple than you are. God may not have called me to pray 20 minutes today. Or he may not have called me to pray an hour today. Does that make sense? That we all mature at our own rate. My boys, uh, my oldest boy is 25. He learned to walk months sooner than my youngest uh, son, Boston, who is 20. He, they actually learned to talk differently too, because the reality is, is that my oldest son being the, you know, the five, six year old older brother uh, knew how to interpret what Boston wanted without words. So Boston would grunt and better say he wants a bottle. So uh, Boston just didn't see no point in talking, I guess. But but they matured at different rates. They they matured at different, same family, same parents, different rates. So we all mature at our own rate. So we can't fall into that legalism. They say, well, I mark more time than someone else. They must be less than me. Maybe not. They they could be more. They they could be less. But who's judging that? We're, you know, the apostle said, don't compare yourselves with each other because people who do that just aren't wise. It's just not wise to compare yourself to one another because we're all different. But I will say this, that there is an expectation for, for maturity. Paul said this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants, your mind, your will, and your emotions are still in that other plane. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and you're still not ready. Paul has indicated to them that he would like to give them more, but they weren't ready for it because they had not matured. Maturity is tied directly to spiritual disciplines. I've seen people who have been saved and a part of the church for 40 years who are exactly where they were when they were saved 40 years ago. Nothing has changed. And they don't see the need for change. And I think that's why it's beautiful that churches in our day and time are starting to understand the need for discipleship, understand the need for spiritual disciplines, because we want to mature into functioning members of the body of Christ. And spiritual disciplines help us do that. As we practice spiritual disciplines with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see the maturing that is necessary to truly produce the life of a disciple. Thank you for listening to the Destiny Leaders Podcast. If this episode has inspired you in any way, we'd love for you to take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. Join us next time as we continue to develop the leader in you.